right. I feel like I should do the hello. You definitely should. Okay. Well, in that really? case. Really? Absolutely. <laughs> hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Joe Holshue and today I'm going on a road trip, a 24-hour road trip. With me, as always, are Dr. Ian DeYoung and Nick Argyris, one high school English teacher and one... I. What do you do, Just Nick? a nice I guy. I don't know. Just a nice boy from the Midwest. That's and not an, true either. And a podcast host. <laughs> Nick is fine. This is very odd and peculiar. Um, my name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. I'm a high school English teacher. And today, uh, Joe, this is so weird. Today, yeah. Joe, we brought a reader recommendation this week. Uh, Herman Melville's massive novel, Moby Dick. And I have one question for you guys. Hast seen the white whale? Goosebumps. Joe, hast you? Joe, I, hast you seen the white whale? <clears throat> I hasn't. Hastent. Oh, hastent. Dang it. Um. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I am your harpooner, Nick Argyris. Oh, no. <laughs> and this week, I'm recommending a lovely mm-hmm. book. Is it lovely though? Yeah, well, I think it's nice. No, it, is, it, is, it is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, a, a lovely book to enjoy on a long road trip of twenty-two plus hours, twenty-one plus hours. Moby Dick. Uh, Nick, I don't think you can say Moby Dick on a podcast. We'll bleep I, it. Like we're <laughs> going to get the explicit Very good, rating. Joe. <laughs> All right, thank you. <laughs> May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs> I don't know where to go with this. What, what do I say next? So um, I, yeah, let me give you some advice just off the bat. Um, mm-hmm. As somebody who often doesn't even know what themes or books we're doing as we record. Sure. Um, just, just wing it. Just wing it. Yep. Litheads, you're probably wondering why, how dare we? How dare Ian, Joe, and Nick do this? And the answer is, when we were talking about this book, which is um, a one we wanted to do and also a reader recommendation from several months ago, um, it came to light that Joe, though he teaches literature, has mm-hmm. never read Moby Dick. And I, I also teach American literature. Yeah. I say. <laughs> Especially <laughs> that. Um, and, and then we were, I would say even more surprised to, to discover that Nick absolutely had. Yes. That was Dick. the bombshell. I think that, yeah, that was, was the bombshell that led yeah. to this episode. Uh, it is a li- listener recommendation. Thank you to Portia for recommending this. It was only a matter of time. Portia is a loyal lithead and, um, this is not surprising. I know Portia and, and this is one of Portia's favorites. So here we are. Moby dicking it up. <laughs> we are Moby dicking it. <laughs> I have a question for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where, where are you gonna, where are you gonna go? That's gonna take you twenty four hours to get there. As somebody who did recently listen to the audiobook of this, yeah. I went in an enormous, large circle around the state of Wyoming. 
Um, <laughs> were you were you broken down by the side of the road for five hours listening to this too? Just circles and circles and circles. Do you know like when you get to a really good part in a book and you don't want to quite get home yet, right? You just drive mm. around the block yep. a couple of times. Yep. Nick was like that, but with the state of Wyoming. Like he just had to hear how Moby Dick finished. Yeah, that's true. I'm looking up right now how far you can get in 24 hours if you drove, yeah, me drove too. somewhere. Are I you on this? Far. I'm on this too. So you could drive to Miami, um, and that would be 22 hours and four minutes from Milwaukee. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking. Um, I just wanted to go coast to coast here just to get a sense for the lit heads. You can't to, go coast to coast. You, you can't cannot. do it. It's no. like no. it's like 35. It's, yeah, you can get from New York to basically Iowa. In about 24 hours, wow. I think. Are you kidding? America's big. America's America big. Is, is big, yeah. And yet, it took John Steinbeck, sorry, it took John Steinbeck like 75 days to do it. You wonder yeah. what else he was mm-hmm. up to. Uh, you could also get to Spokane from Milwaukee in 24 hours. Spokane, okay. Idaho. Pretty good. No, yeah. Washington. This is good. This is good audio. So um, I guess As let- always, go ahead. Were you about to tell me the rules of the shit? <laughs> Nick, I am in the driver's seat of this show. I have brought nothing else. I can at okay. least say the rules. Okay. Nothing but Goes in charge. I'm officially relinquishing. I was just going to say, Litheads, um, if you'd like to to just, um, you know, if just email us. We'll send you some 24-hour routes. And really, we should stop saying 24. The book is about 22 hours. So, 22 you know, hours. if you want to drive somewhere, we can let you know. Just tell us where you live. Give us your address and um, your social security, and we'll let you know where you could drive in 22 hours. All right, gentlemen. As you know, there are rules to this podcast. It is not a free-for-all, despite what it may feel like week after week after endless week. We have three rules. Mm, I don't remember them off. <laughs> Number one, nobody help me. (laughs) Number one, I do know them. Number one, only unavoidable spoilers, gentlemen. Uh, Rule number two is, of course, omit needless words, Joe. And rule number three is winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. And also rule number four is no, no unnecessary downers. Oh, that's right. The new rules. Um, And I'll, I'll just add. Um, as always, there are our shadow rules, which are, are the same every week. You say them with me, litheads. Avast, belay, and there she blows. No, no, Joe, so you had I, your rules. I, These are the shadow rules. You can't just go in and change the shadow rules. Yeah, always. I was this. trying to say I'm with you. Sorry. This is a fun new format where we just fight. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be the first podcast to do it. <laughs> really trying something new out here. Nick, I'm I'm particularly thankful this week that there cannot be a winner because as arbitrary and nonsensical as your winners are, I have a feeling that Joe's winners, like if Joe chose the winner, it would be I think he would yeah, he would win. You know, yeah. I was thinking about this. Uh, I was thinking about this as I was running errands earlier today, and I was trying to like predetermine who was going to win this week. Um, and I and I was really torn because I think it would be really funny to make Nick lose like i think that would be that would be a blast (laughs) but but i thought if nick gets the win this week then that keeps a win out of ian's column which of course uh doesn't separate our lifetime uh, our lifetime score which we both care about very 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 much 
I think Joe is just going to use all these opportunities to talk. (laughs) (laughs) I was hearing that tone in his voice and I was like, no. He's going to hold this win over us, but it doesn't matter. We're not having winners this week. This is one book. We're not having winners this week. We're all winners. Um, Nick, what do you want to say about this book? I can tell you in 30 seconds what this book is about. Please do. I have a timer. Nick, on your marks. Get set. Go. Moby Dick, written by Herman Melville in 1851, coming in at 600 pages plus and just over a 21-hour audiobook. The novel follows a young sailor, Ishmael, on his first voyage out to sea aboard a whaling vessel, the Pequod, helmed by fame, Captain Ahab, who is on a relentless voyage for revenge to kill the great white whale, Moby Bleep. Oh, Nick, that was that was the end of your time. Wow. So I so I heard Pequod. That feels like a good crossword clue. Moby Dick. Ahab. That's good. Ishmael. Is Pequod the name of the boat? This is Joe. Yes. We don't call them boats. Okay. The name of the ship. A boat is what you put down in the water to go chase a whale and stab it a bunch of times. A ship Mm. has sails. I do have to take issue with one point in that um, in that uh, thirty second plot, Nick. I bet it's not his first time at sea. It's his first time whaling, but he's been to the sea before. Mm. He's a he's a salty dog. He's a salty dog. I wouldn't I wouldn't say he's a salty dog. I would just say you know he he starts off with this wonderful thing about like man sometimes you just really got to go to the ocean and he's like then I went back to the ocean so that suggests to me it's maybe not his first. Rodeo, but this was his first like long term, yes, and his first mission. his first whale his his first whale ship, yes, yeah. And Ian, can I ask? I a, expect I, you to fill in all other gaps, and yes, I will <laughs> okay. allow you to ask a question. I'm going to start by filling in a gap that's not there, oh. Nick. I'm really like I have been burning with curiosity about this question ever oh. since you oh be careful dropped the bombshell on us uh, that you had read this. Yeah, why um, did you read this? Why did you read this book and why did you finish it? Mm. I mean, this is going to sound like a put down, no disrespect, but Mm. this is a hard book to get through. Like, it's not easy. And I think you have to have a powerful reason for finishing this book, especially when he's talking about whales for like 300 pages without stopping. So like, why did you read this and why did you finish it? Well, that's why I think it's a good audio book because, especially for a road trip, because I kind of didn't have a choice. Like I knew I was going to drive a really long way. <laughs> and and the alternative was dead air, Ian. So um, uh-huh. so that's why I read it, but also why I picked it. Because uh, you, uh, you can read like three to four other books in the time that you read this one. Um, I just thought it was a good idea to finally get this off my list because I, I always wanted uh-huh. to read it. It seems like it, people liked it. So, and it was a right. pretty big deal that's, you know, it's been around for 150 plus years or whatever the math is. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I guess the reason <laughs> I was, like, yeah. So that was, that's pe- was pe- like a, pretty much it there, Ian. It was like a good. white whale that you had to chase down and finally. Yeah, there mm-hmm. it is. It's also the same reason most people listen to this podcast, which is the alternative mm-hmm. is dead air. Is dead air. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say it's been around for 150 years and <laughs> everyone seems to love it. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Um, probably another burning question you had, Ian, um, for me yeah. was, did you like it? And that the was... answer is yes, I did like it. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Okay. But, but what did you like? What did you like about I'm just Nick. Okay. 
uh, I, again, this sounds like I'm being mean to you, but I swear I'm not. I'm, I'm legitimately okay. curious. I can take it. I can I can imagine you turning this on and really hating it. And yeah. you and yet you finished it. And yes, the alternative is dead air, but like what did you like about it? How did you like some of the stuff some of this stuff I struggle with and I have deliberately chosen to spend most of my life reading. So like what yeah, did you like about it? Why did here's you Here's hot did you Nick's enjoy it? hot take, I think is what you're really asking. Nick, what's I'm your really hot take asking. on Moby Dick? We've been yep. waiting uh yep. f- you know, 60 plus episodes for you to talk about a book. Here we go. Right. Here we um, go. Yeah, so this book is about whaling in the sense that you are going to learn more about whales in this book than you probably would have anticipated. Um, Maybe more there, than you want. You may, mm-hmm. Oh, definitely more than you want. Um, there are, are just endless chapters about whales, and you mm-hmm. just learn everything about whales in in like a biologist detail. Yeah. Right. So even going into this book, knowing like it's Moby Dick, obviously it's about whales. Obviously it's about whaling. I'm going to learn a bunch about it. You're saying even then you're shocked by how much about whales this book is. It was, yeah. Melville's approach to this um, story that I think most people are familiar with of uh, captain trying to kill a white whale that he can't catch. Right. Um, his approach to that was, yeah, we'll get to that. But first I'm going to tell you every (laughs) known fact about whales to the human race. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter one, what, what color is their skin? Great. Let me tell you every single whale skin color. And he'll talk about that. And then he'll talk about what they like to eat. And then he'll talk about how they like to mate. And then he'll talk about what, why we know these things about the whales. Um, which really brings me to my first prepared point, Ian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was I think it's important for the listeners to know what's going on in the world when this book was written. Mm. Yeah. Ooh. Context. Ooh. Mm. Um, this is a segment I'm calling Context with Nick. Are we allowed to name segments? Did you just put... Did you just put with Nick after all of the titles of your points? And that's just, okay. yeah, we're going to have a lot of segments in this particular episode um, that involve uh, my talking points. Uh-huh. uh-huh. More segments than a millipede. Tell me about the context, yeah, Nick. Good. All right. I want to walk you guys through what's going on in the 1950s. Um, this book was written, 1850s. written in uh, 1950s. 1950s. Excuse me. Yeah, so it was the Cold ago. War. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joseph McCarthy is having his personal red whale. Communists are everywhere. <laughs> no, this is well before that. Um, <laughs> so, 1850s in America, um, not great. Uh, <laughs> not a great place right now um, at all. Um, so, let's see. Just to give you, I, there's no particular order here, folks. So, um, okay. The U.S., the population in the U.S. was 23 million. Half, over half, 60% of people were farmers. <laughs> mm. <laughs> good life, um, good honest life. Yeah. 11 million farmers going on, which I think that just puts things into perspective a little bit. Mm. Um, now, let's see, just some, we have some fun stuff here, Ian and Joe, but we also have some super not fun stuff because oh, it's the boy. 1850s and <laughs> Wait, I think you, we on. just need to talk about it. Does the not fun stuff have to do with the looming civil war and slavery? Good it question. It does. does. So, it um, 
that couldn't have been a, that big of a deal, right? Like Are you guys- 1850s <laughs> America, pastoral, everything's beautiful. That can't be that big of a deal. Hey, Nick, tell us the bad stuff first. Um, are you guys familiar with the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850? <laughs> I feel like we're going to be. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, you're going to be. Just high level here. Um, so this was a federal law uh, that was put into place in, the 18, uh, in 1850 that basically said if a slave escaped the South and went to a free country in the North, they had to be returned. They had to be caught uh, and returned to the slave owner in the South, which according to Wikipedia is, uh, Wikipedia calls this one of the most hated and openly violent pieces of federal <laughs> legislation to ever exist in the United States. Wow. Um, and basically yeah. one of the huge driving forces for the civil war. Yeah. You know, I guess as much as I've heard about that in the past, I think you saying it just now made it sink in for me that, that this wasn't like custom this wasn't practice this was yeah. federal law like like federal this was law. this was supported by the might of the united states yeah yeah and so that 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 divided some houses i bet yeah and it it also divided some uh some houses of freed slaves who were in the north and then were kind of ripped back to the south uh, yeah so that that's a really uh it's a really shitty point in uh in U.S. history yeah. at this point. Um, here's some other m- probably more fun things. Um, yeah. In 51, Maine was the first state to uh, ban alcohol. It was the first prohibition oh, state. Holy yeah. cow. 1851? I did not know that. Way Man. ahead of the curve. Well, and, uh, Maine was probably full of Puritans, right? Don't, don't you think that sounds like a Puritan state? Definitely, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, oh I should probably be clear. Um, there will be no follow-up questions on any of these. <laughs> <laughs> In history, Maine, with I want to say segment. thank you for leading the charge against demon rum. Yeah. So, ironically, also uh, uh, Jack Daniels was born this year. The whiskey yeah. guy. <laughs> um, not his great, but probably maybe a formative uh, point in history. Um, so, anyway, for him, um, uh, let's see. Oh, uh, San Francisco was started. They started San Francisco in 1950. Started. Started. Startup. Uh, the first New York Times was published in 1951. 1851. 1851. If I keep saying 1950s, it's because uh, I don't talk about the 1800s that much. Well, sure. who does? Who does? Me. Historians, I guess. <laughs> I do. I History do a lot, actually. Yeah. A do lot you? of people, I'm sure. This is why Ian doesn't get invited to parties. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know that. Did you guys know that in 1873, <laughs> Reconstruction was in full bloom? <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Nick, tell yeah. us more about the context. I got one more for you. I think this, when I read this, it really kind of put put it in perspective how long ago this was and how different the world was. Okay. Napoleon's nephew was in charge of France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Napoleon Bonaparte III um, in, in 51 uh, staged a coup to uh, keep his power and become the emperor of France. <laughs> God. And um and a lot of people weren't a fan of this, including a friend of the show, Victor Hugo. Oh, oh. those Bonapartes, they just don't quit. They yeah, just they Napoleon just, the third. They just keep going. They just keep Wait, trying so to take France. Nick, was he successful or did he fail? Oh, he was successful. Uh, <laughs> Congratulations, Napoleon the third. Yeah. Yep. He's the real winner this week. So this book came out uh as as Nick notes in the 1850s, which were a different time for sure. Um, as we can tell, because the, the years, the numbers are different. Yeah. The Here we are in two zero two one and that was right. 1851. Um, so when this book was published, I mean, it was big, right? It was a big lump of paper 
and it was published in England and in America. It was published first in England, and the British reviewers, there was a strong... Uh, there was a strong tradition of British literary critical review, and they didn't quite get the book. They they were not like they weren't like oh yeah totally this makes sense. And a lot of people in in the years after it was published didn't get it. Some would say we still don't. But um, this the Brits they didn't they didn't really totally understand what the book was doing, but they didn't dislike it. They were like, this is pretty good. Like this is, this is a crazy book, but it's pretty good. Like it's not a bad book. It's, it's quite excellent in a lot of ways, but there was one influential review that made its way over to America and American reviewers. It turns out a lot of them DNF'd this book. They did not finish this book and they still published reviews based on this one influential kind of negative review um, from England. And so in American literary circles, the book was not really critically acclaimed. Some people went so far as to say, like, this book costs a dollar and fifty cents, and it's not worth that. Which <laughs> yeah. you know, in that time, a dollar and fifty cents was more than it is now, but still, like that's 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 like buying a book for $25 and saying this isn't even worth that. So um it was kind of a flop uh melville put a lot of himself into this book as i'm sure nick is going to talk about Um, think again ian (laughs) (laughs) it was more or less unknown for about 70 years after it was published oh wow and it was only in the 19 teens and the 1920s that authors um in the modernist movement started saying no no you idiots listen this is an amazing book this is a beautiful book go read this book and it's since uh, kind of been hailed as one of the great American novels. So it's amazing to me that, you know, we, we've talked about a couple of the great American novels on the podcast, uh, especially Huck Finn, um, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. And uh, this is one that it took close to a century before people sat up and took notice of it. I came across a website, semirad.com, that takes one-star reviews of Moby Dick and it turns them into free verse poetry. Um, nice. <laughs> So here, uh, could you read us some? Yeah, uh, this one is very, very short. Um, The title of this poem is Truth, and the poem in its entirety goes, Jaws is better. And that's the end of the poem. (laughs) Um, I'll break off one more for you. Please. Do not like how it is written in Old English. Was not aware of that. Also, the print is extremely small. Tried to read it, but put it down. Eileen, <laughs> August 29th, 2016. Thank you, Eileen, and thank you, semirad.com. Was that a haiku? Wow. For, well, free verse poem. And Nick, I like this is the dirty secret of free verse poetry. Uh, you can just do what you want. It doesn't, yeah, doesn't, yeah. there's nothing. Yeah, like, the free verse, like, it's like no verse poetry is what it should be called. So I, I feel like I have to put myself in Nick's normal place right now and remind yeah. you two that neither one of you has told me what this book is about. <laughs> I've got I've right, got Pequod, right. I've got Ahab, I've got Ishmael in my notes, and I've got Moby Dick. Uh, how how do those four things interact with one another throughout these six hundred pages? You pretty much got it. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Do you want me to try to give it a shot here, Ian, and then you can correct all the things I get wrong? Um. Yeah, sure. Let's go that way. That's fine. 
So here's the thing. Okay, so this is what I know about Melville. And this is important to the book and the plot of the book. Because he did all of this. So the main character mm-hmm. is, is Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Um, the opening of the book is Call Me Ishmael, or is uh-huh. Call Me Ishmael, right? That's what he Famously. said. Famously. Famously, right? And that's pretty much what happens. Like Melville's like <laughs> own personal like story is like the one-to-one story of Ishmael, like in a lot of different ways. So basically the the book is about him getting on the ship um, who he doesn't know who the captain is. There's a whole mystery around that and it builds that up. And basically he, he wants to just see what it's like being on a whaling vessel. He's never done it before. He has no qualifications. He's getting on this um, boat. Is that right, Ian? Boat? Ship. Um, we'll and- boat. Boat's fine. <laughs> Um, wood boat and uh, he has no qualifications and he starts just at the lowest possible entrance point. He's the intern on the boat, right? Yeah. Am I right so far, yeah. Ian? Swa- right. Swabbing you're, you're decks. Dead, you're dead, dead certain so far. And, you know, I don't know where that ends in his career, you know, towards the end of this book, but he works his way up. He builds trust and blah, 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 blah. Is that fair enough, Ian? He gets, I mean, I would say he he gets to know more about whales and yeah. whaling. Yeah. But okay. he is really sure. just kind of like the, the person observing on the boat. Anyway, okay. going back to like Melville, he did this. So like all of these things that happen in the story are things that he actually did in real life. So for example, he was on a whaling vessel out of what Massachusetts or something like that. And yeah. And he, he, he did this. Like he had a captain that was kind of crazy and um, (laughs) he met people that were from different parts of the world. And like all of these things were source material for Moby Dick. So I think that's interesting because as I was reading this book, it kind of reminded me, and this is kind of a, have I done this before? Have I compared (laughs) another book to this book before? Maybe I have, but it kind of gives you this like, um, kitchen confidential vibe where like (laughs) you are literally learning about this industry that you know nothing about, Mm -hmm. uh, whether that be a kitchen or a whaling vessel. And it's, it's this firsthand story of this guy who is kind of showing you like the, yeah, the, the right. underbelly of, sure. of this whole industry that you know nothing about. And like at the time, the way he talks and writes about all this is almost as if like he is documenting mm. this stuff for the first mm. time. Like this mm. stuff has not, this information about whales and whaling doesn't exist outside of this book. And he is almost doing like this work to like document this whole industry and facts that we know about whales thus far. He talks a lot about how pervasive whale uh, byproducts uh, are in society. He's like, he has whole chapters about like how whalebone is used to make all kinds of things and how different kinds of oil are used for different kinds of purposes. And the, the, the centrality of the whaling industry to American and really Western society in the mid 19th century. I also want to pick up on something else Nick Nick mentioned, and the, that's the idea of we learn along with Ishmael. And this is a really powerful. It's it's certainly not the first novel to do this, but there's a power to um, when we open this book. Most of us are um, novices. We don't know jack about whaling, and 
the same with Ishmael. So we have a point of view character, uh, a narrator, who shares our our um, ignorance. We 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 and Ishmael are equally ignorant about whaling. Yeah, and over cool. the course of this book, as Ishmael learns more, so do we. And so we kind of naturally start to identify with Ishmael because we're learning alongside him. He's our schoolmate. The book has all the things in it that you kind of think it does before you you start reading it. It has, mm-hmm. except for the whale explanation. I did not see that coming. <laughs> that, is, that is a surprise. Um, but it has the adventures. It has the character. You know, it has the the characters. It kind of gives you a sense of like what it's like being on a boat for mm. years. Like they are yeah. literally out to sea for years. It goes are, into depth yes. about like what that means for like their families and and leaving Mm -hmm. that behind through some of the characters. It, it kind of talks about, you know, how food works, Mm -hmm. how like they break down a whale when they (laughs) kill one. Like it gets into depth about like all of the different aspects about what it's like to be on a voyage for years and years and years. Okay. So even as you talk, like a couple things are dawning on me for the first time. When I imagine Moby Dick, right, and this is a book that I think is in the popular imagination, I kind of imagine like a single-minded pursuit of this white whale, right? Like I imagine that Ahab is putting together this crew and he is going on a whale hunt specifically for Moby Dick. I'm putting together a team. Yeah, that's exactly it. But it sounds like they're just on a whaling boat, right? And while they're hunting for whale for Moby Dick, which is maybe like always a side pursuit, or is that the main thrust? Like they're also killing other whales and they're also breaking other whales down and things like that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take that one, Ian. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So a pretty a vital, uh, important piece of the whole dynamic of the boat. Um, and I don't think this spoils anything cause it happens pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, although you don't understand like the degree in which it's right. said, <laughs> um, but <laughs> you know, yes. the, the first time you, you see Ahab and they have that conversation, he makes it real fucking clear <laughs> to, <laughs> to everybody on the boat. I want that. We whale. are hunting a white whale. <laughs> I want that. Uh, there will be no other missions. Um, and I don't know know, how long it's going to take. It might take four years. We are going to get that damn whale to the extent that other people on the boat. So the boat's like the, the, the ship is chartered and it's set up as just a normal whale, whale ship. Like we're just going to go catch a bunch of whales, kill them, take all their oil, oil. come home, get rich. Um, but then Ahab is like, okay, now we're out at sea. All of the owners are gone. Mm-hmm. I want all of you to swear a blood oath that we're going to go kill that whale. And there, there are members. Gotcha. Is there a scene when everybody looks at each other nervously? Like, kind of. Oh, no. Yeah. Several, Joe, several. <laughs> there's, there's, there's kind of this, this voice of, this voice of reason on the boat named Starbuck. No relation. And Starbuck mm-hmm. is kind of like, no, this is a bad idea. Let's just kill some whales. And there are other people who are like, yeah, um, Ahab, we would love to go get some whales, just normal whales, not white whales. And they have to plead with Ahab, can we please go do the whaling that we set out to do? And Ahab's like, fine. Oh, yes. <laughs> but I swear, if we see that white whale, we're dumping all of our normal whales. Wow. Yeah, you can stay busy catching yes. whales in between, but just so you know, we're not sailing towards them. We are not actively going out of the way for them. We are tracking down this white whale. And the other thing too is like, it, it, it's cool being in the perspective of uh, 
the the youth, the uh, the young yes. green eyed young man, um, because like you don't really understand how that's even possible, right? Like, how are you going to catch one whale? Yeah, the and, ocean is big and full of whales. Like, how do you find one of them? Yeah, and they kind of describe it. It kind of reminds me of like, um, like I don't understand how we go to space, but mm-hmm. when you read um, uh, one of uh, this show's favorite books, um, The Right Stuff, mm-hmm. you kind of understand how they get to space. Yeah, because right. it's step basically by like step. get into this rocket and go higher and higher into the sky. <laughs> and after after like years and years of doing this, you eventually get high enough to be in space. So like right. you get the process of like how to get there. So they kind of break that down. And the short answer is like there are patterns to the ocean and we track schools of, you know, different whales. And I don't know if there's yeah. whales or You whales, ask but. every ship you see has seen the white whale. <laughs> that's a good oh, one too. That's good. Crowdsourcing. I mean, he's, ga- yeah. he's gathering data. He is, um, yeah, he, the big data is a, a big part of this uh, book. I should have mentioned that. Um, and it's, hey, it's Labor Day. Um, you know, it would be a fun play on words if, if we did books about fitness. Wait, how is that? Is that a play on words? Because Labor Day, it's like if you um, like to work out and stuff, it's very laborious. Yeah. That's definitely what Labor Day is about and definitely not about the role of organized labor in granting U.S. and global workers a living wage. And- you know, they really keep that quiet, don't they? Like Memorial Day rolls around and like everybody's putting out flags and like blowing trumpets. And then Labor Day rolls around and it's like, eh, Monday off, guys. Go to the beach. <laughs> yeah. So, so to celebrate Labor Day, we're going to talk about our bodies. Like, yeah, we're going to talk about specifically our bodies, Joe. Our bodies. I <laughs> okay, I have a slightly, I have a slightly unorthodox uh, book to bring. It's, it's a book which has been recommended to me, but not officially, not officially, like as, uh, as a recommendation um, for the show. This is a book which my father-in-law has told me over and over and over to read, and I'm finally going to read it. It's called Grandma Gatewood's Walk. And it's about the first woman who ever hiked the entire Appalachian Trail alone. So um, it's written by a guy who was a Pulitzer Prize finalist. And it's a good book. And she labors hard to walk 2,000 miles in sneakers. She's really famous. Like, I've read other books about the Appalachian Trail, and they talk about Grandma Gatewood in in those yeah, books. She's, she's incredible. I cannot wait to talk about this book because... Like the fact that she didn't die like a week in is mind blowing to me. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, sorry, spoilers. She doesn't die like a week in. <laughs> she dies later. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all die later. <laughs> I guess along the same themes, I'm going to bring a book about um, not walking, but running. Instead of an old woman walking, an old man running. I'm bringing the memoir. Uh, from the famous science fiction novelist Haruki Murakami uh, about running. Uh, it is a nonfiction memoir that he wrote called What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. And I enjoy it a bunch, despite not being a nonfiction novelist or a science fiction novelist or a runner. So, what I talk about when I talk about running. 
I always assumed as well, does this book end with like a 1v1 of Ahab versus this whale? Like I always imagined like he gets in a skiff, he rows out, he takes a harpoon and he basically like, uh, like rides the atomic bomb of this whale to the bottom of the Atlantic. Now that might get into spoiler territory. Nick, Nick, let's, let's hold off on this one. This would be a good way to end. I think I I have, I, I don't know about this. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't even know if I want to talk about the end of the book because it's your sweet reward. Like this yeah. book builds for so it builds <laughs> yeah. for 21 hours and like no. you get to this like peak of everything. Like yeah. I just feel like as a reader you deserve yeah. to not know anything yeah. walking in. This the is end. one where this is one where the spoiler would be absolutely brutal. This is almost I would say okay. as bad as the spoiler in Jane Eyre. Like what happens <laughs> right. at the end of this book is like as big as what happens in the middle of Jane Eyre. Nick, I do want to very carefully, careful. I want to, I want to share an interesting point about the publication history of this book, which you may have come across. <laughs> that in sounds your... like so much fun, Ian. Let's do it. <laughs> no, no, it's so good. Okay. Ian, Ian, I'm going to allow it. Um, thank you. Thank you. Publishing um, history <laughs> with Ian, a new segment. <laughs> Publishing history with Ian. Okay. Um, Nick, you know what happens at the at the very, very end of the book, the epilogue, right? You know, like kind of what happens there? Yes. Okay. In the p- version published in England, when the, this is the 1850s, you couldn't just email it. You had to send a physical paper copy over. And then they had to send back a proof and they would, you would correct it. If you're Melville, you'd correct it and you'd send it back over, back and forth and back and forth. Even Somewhere the in the process. What's that? Even the 1950s, that was not possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, In the process of this, somewhere along the way, the British edition lost the epilogue. Oh, shoot. And so the British edition published the end of the last chapter, and that was the end of the book. What happens at the end? You're like... Oh, okay. Like this, the themes and the symbols are different, and the narrator is, is kind of set up differently. If you stop this book at the end of the last chapter before the epilogue, you're like, "Wait, what?" Yeah. So that's yeah. that's a big that's a big uh oh. So did he rewrite it? Did he? No, it like they the didn't only figu- copy. No, they didn't figure this out until. Well, well, after the Brits were like all those reviews the Brits did on this book, they were without the final epilogue, which tells you kind of like where things end up. And so they yeah. they end kind of a little bit abruptly and they're like, wait, this is a weird book. It ends abruptly. Yeah, which is crazy because then when like they write their tip their tepid reviews of it and all the Americans just plagiarize those British reviews, it sounds like they're talking about different books at this point like if the kind epilogue of, is that important kind of and like especially like some of the reviews some of the review american reviewers come in and say i didn't finish this book and if the american reviewers had finished the american version of the book then they would have said oh those brits had the wrong the wrong copy they were missing the epilogue and right. um it would have been totally different yep pretty big mix up that's what happens when it's you mix them up pay attention to publishing history <laughs> this has been publishing history with ian yeah, basically the whole premise of the book, like it moves towards this goal, right? Of this whale. And it gives you kind of insight along the way, both on like, what's it like to be out at sea, but also just whales, how whales are, just everything about whales. I think everything you'd ever want to know about whales is in this book. Um, if you uh, want to spend a part of your life learning about that part of 
of, of whales. So, um, sure. like read this book and you will get, uh, you will be a marine biologist then. Congratulations. Yeah, you, you're good. I mean, kind basically. of. A yeah. marine biologist up to the point of 1851. Conversationally, you're good on whales. Like for the rest of your life, you don't, you can just check that one off of like surface level knowledge. I'm concerned, Joe, that you might be thinking we're just talking about like whale biology. No, Mm -hmm. we're talking about whale history. We're talking about whales in art. We're talking about the things you can make out of whale bone and sell as art. Mm. We're talking about incidences of weather vanes in New England that are designed to look like whales. We're talking about (laughs) whales writ large. I think that's quite enough, Ian. I, I, I do have a free verse poem for you uh, that addresses this topic. <laughs> um, th- this poem is called, all caps, I sure hope you enjoy learning about whales. <laughs> Listen, I read this book hoping to get a pretty good story, hoping to see some of the, sol- the solidarity in man by reading about his voyages in water, hoping to relate to some of the struggles from being solely focused on obtaining a certain goal, etc. But honestly, good Lord, of this book is various lessons on whaling, the origin of whales, whale distinction, whale body parts, whale sperm, different colors of whales. Oh my goodness, the book starts off with a quick appearance of Quipeg. Quipeg? Quipeg. Quipeg. Um, you think, okay, we might have something here, but no, then it goes on and on and on. It gets top off topic all the time. The majority of this book is about how Ishmael feels and also about whale parts. (laughs) So that's That's good. I feel like it could. I feel like there could be a version of this book that is as long as the old man in the sea where, (laughs) where it's just a shortened version of like, Hey, here's, here's the story. Yeah. But basically the, the buildup is how dedicated is, um, Captain Ahab to catching this whale. And it just, it keeps going and keeps going. And that's basically where the book turns into this, uh, what allegory for anything you want to insert yeah. <laughs> right in, insert your allegory here i had never thought of this by myself this is not me this is something i picked up in my preparation for today but okay. uh there is a a, a well-known critic of uh, a scholar who's who's done a lot of research and work on moby dick uh and he says that his name is lawrence buell and he says that ishmael is a force for um waffling sort of vacillating he is a source for feeling things out meditation and circularity and ahab is a force for linearity and he says Mm. in practice what this means is when ishmael does what he wants to do with this book when it's ishmael the ishmael chapters he's like hey i'm gonna give you three pages about bones of whales (laughs) three chapters about bones and when it's ahab's chapters it's like we're going to sail over there, and we're going to see if the white whale is there. He's not. But we did talk to a ship and learned out learned out where he might be somewhere else. So this is a really interesting idea that these two characters, Ishmael and, and Ahab, they represent kind of different narrative styles. Ishmael is all about kind of feeling out where we're at, thinking, reflecting on what it means to be human, to be a whale, and ish, uh, and sorry, Ahab to be a whale. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Like, like there is yeah. some. Like, you got to put yourself in the mind of the whale. My dear mother pans this book because, and I quote, "It's too much whale psychology." There is some whale psychology in this book. Um, Ahab, by contrast, is like, "We're going to sail from here to there. We're going to kill the whale, and then I will be victorious over the whale that has wronged me." It's very much like circularity versus linearity, and I like that. I like that a lot. Mm, yeah. Do you think this is a boy book? 
you think this Good like question. plays to like man, stupid man stuff? Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, mm. man going out on a voyage and capturing this whale and right, like facing down his destiny. Uh, like, yeah. I think I that's that's a really good question, Nick. I think I think if it were like unabashedly pro Ahab, it would absolutely be absolutely be a masculinist fantasy. It would right. absolutely be like, look that's at good. this man oh, yeah, taking on the world, but it's not. And like Ahab is almost as much of a monster as as Moby Dick himself. So I don't think it is because the sort of masculinist fantasy of 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 the the single minded revenge oh, boy. Am, am I projecting? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, like just kind of outside looking in, this book always seems like a little bit cautionary to me, right? Like when you talk about the old man and the sea, yeah. you know, which is the obvious book to talk about here. Um, Nick, in fact, once read the old man and the sea, thinking it was Moby Dick. Am I remembering that right, Nick? That's right. Um. You're not not wrong. <laughs> He's like, God, I thought this would be longer. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that feels celebratory. That's like one man, like at the end of his masculinity, like up against nature and showing he's got it one more time. Like we run into the same stuff with like Jack London, right? Like man up against nature one more time. Like this always felt to me like, oh, Ahab's like nuts, right? Like Ahab is not admirable. I don't think he's admirable. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the fun of the book, right? It's really, it's really hard. Like this isn't like, I mean, I know I said Ahab is a monster, but he's a sympathetic monster and, yeah. and you understand it's like, it says, it says he is sick. It says his brain is like, there is mental illness here. And it's, it's to some extent, I think a somewhat sympathetic presentation of it. He had his leg bitten off by this whale and right. then he had That'll to go off. home and deal with that, like mm -hmm. psychologically cope with it. And he endured some trauma. And this is his, yeah. this is his response to go and try and get revenge on this whale. So it's, it's not like Ahab is necessarily purely a hundred percent holy evil, but he's not, he's not praiseworthy either. Yeah. It's really, it's really complex. Right. Yeah. He's holding a grudge, like an understandable grudge. Is he oh a well-rounded human? Yes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's weird. Yourself, right? It, it's weird because he's such a he's such a single minded. The word that they use for him is kind of an old fashioned word. The word that Melville uses often is monomaniac. Um, <laughs> you might say like <laughs> That's obsessive a good today. Um, he is so single minded in his purpose, and yet, and yet, we get a sense of him as a rounded a rounded character. I'm not going to read the whole the whole quote, but there's this beautiful part where. Towards the end, they're, they're, the chapter is titled The Symphony, and they're just hanging out uh, right before they catch sight of Moby Dick and start chasing him. And there's this beautiful, the air is just beautiful, the sky, the, the winds are blowing gently, the sun is shining, the ocean is lovely, and there's this passage which describes it in this, this incredible, um, um, just, just almost poetic prose. And then it says, the lovely aromas in that enchanted air did at last seem to dispel for a moment the cankerous thing in Ahab's soul. <laughs> the glad, happy air, that winsome sky did at last stroke and caress him. The stepmother world so long cruel, forbidding, now threw affectionate arms around his stubborn neck and did seem to joyously sob over him. 
as if over one that, however willful and erring, she could yet find it in her heart to save and to bless. From beneath his slouched hat, Ahab dropped a tear into the sea, nor did all the Pacific contain such wealth as that one wee drop. This moment of Ahab is steel against everything, every attempt to persuade him from his purpose. He is monomaniac, and yet, for a single moment, the beauty of the world around him, the fresh breezes, the glory of the sun on the ocean, it pierces him, and he drops one tear, and you're like, this guy is human. He's a person. He can be moved. This is one of those books that I think a lot of people have on their shelf, right? Like it's an aspirational book for a lot of people. I don't think it's taught that broadly anymore. I I don't know. We don't teach it in our school and it wasn't taught in my school growing up. I guess that's, that's a pretty narrow experience, but like, this is a book I would like to read sometime. I did not read it for this week. I feel like, boy, that might've been my opportunity (laughs) because I don't know when I'm going to do this again. Like, so Ian, is this a book I should read in retirement? Nick, is this a book I should read in retirement? Is that when when should I read Moby Dick? I think you can chip away at it. It's, yeah. There's some chapters that are extremely short. There's others that are extremely long. and But I think you could read a chapter at a time and not lose momentum. Yeah. Um, because it, it goes so slow in the sense that like it it i mean it it sounds really cliche but it reads like a like a like a long road trip journey yeah. book or yeah. whatever in the like sense that like yeah. it's slow and and that's okay and that's kind of part of the draw it's a slow build up so yeah that was yeah that's pretty much it You're, i think yeah, I, I think you could chip away at it i i, I think that's, that's that's a great way to do it i think um you're not going to lose the plot the plot is basically ahab wants to kill the white whale Yep. You just chip away at it. Have it on your bedside table and read a chapter before bed. And it's, sure. it's, I, I, I highly, highly recommend this book. That's all I got. I don't know. This format is a little, ugh, I got to like try and talk and I don't yeah, know. Nick, I kind of like you have done. A really good back. job today. Nick, and yeah, I, okay. I, I agree. I would like to. I would like to see more of these. I think this is a cool, a cool format. Maybe not every week, but I think it's a cool format to 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 hold on Sprinkle to in the future. In. Yeah, Nick, surprisingly good job. Um, Nick, do you have a quote? Do you have a quote you want to read, or should I read one? I did not prepare a quote. In that case, Nick, you lose. <laughs> Ahab, you lose. Uh, I will read a quote, Nick. If you want to tell people what to do. Oh, oh. Nice. I can do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Litheads, um, you can, if you want to get involved in the show, you can go to our website, you don't know litpodcast.com, submit a book, submit a theme, and we will eventually get to it because we really like doing user submitted um, stuff. And what else? Oh, follow us on social media, you don't know lit. And um, yeah, leave us a review too. You can leave us a five star review only. Uh, we don't like one star <laughs> reviews, um, only for uh, books that we recommend reading. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. Um, I, and I do want to say, tell a friend. 
Yeah, tell a friend. Um, I want to say a special thank you to Portia for re- recommending this book many, many months ago. Um, this this was a listener recommendation, and sometimes listeners recommend things we're unfamiliar with. Sometimes they recommend things Joe. which we know and love. <laughs> <laughs> this managed to be both. So, Portia, thank you so much for this this wonderful recommendation. Um, I I loved getting back into this book, and frankly, we spend so much time. Joe and I spend so much time reading things. Um, for this, for this podcast that we don't have much time for other fun reading. So mm-hmm. the only way I'm going to read something is if it's for the podcast, basically these days. That's true. So this so recommend books to, that we will want to read. Please. <laughs> um, yes, yes. I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read a chapter, not quite a chapter, a short chapter, part of a short chapter towards the end of the book it's not that long you're fine but first i want to uh, offer a recommendation um litheads if you choose to read this book and please do um uh there are in most copies that you can buy there are authors footnotes which do a pretty good job explaining some things but also as one of our free verse poems said uh melville uses a lot of old-fashioned language which is hard to understand so i'm going to recommend that you check out the website powermobydick.com i'm not sure why it's called powermobydick.com but this is a complete annotated edition uh, edition of moby dick online and i'm looking at it right now it's got words that are confusing highlighted and then in the margin it tells you what those words mean it's great um so Please, please use that if you are trying to get into Moby Dick and it's really hard. Um, that's a great resource to start with. You can also buy hard copy annotated editions of Moby Dick. Uh, but or go to free. your library. Yeah, or <laughs> open a freaking dictionary. Um, but this is for free. Yeah, and also okay. just be careful how you're inserting that URL, everybody. Right. Be just be very, careful how you type just that double URL. Check it. Yeah. <laughs> double check it. Um, this, is a, this is a chapter. This is chapter... Chapter CXIV, chapter 114, and it's called The Gilder. There's 114 chapters? There are 135 chapters, dog. Oh, my God. I like it less all of a sudden. (laughs) Uh, Chapter 114, The Gilder. Penetrating further and further into the heart of the Japanese cruising ground, the Pequod was soon all astir in the fishery often in mild, pleasant weather weather for 12, 15, 18, and 20 hours on the stretch, they were engaged in the boats, steadily pulling or sailing or paddling after the whales, or, for an interlude of 60 or 70 minutes, calmly awaiting their uprising, though with but small success for their pains. At such times, under an abated sun, afloat all day upon smooth, slow, heaving swells, Seated in his boat, light as a birch canoe, and so sociably mixing with the soft waves themselves, that like hearthstone cats they purr against the gunwale. These are the times of dreamy quietude, when beholding the tranquil beauty and brilliancy of the ocean's skin, one forgets the tiger heart that pants beneath it, and would not willingly remember that this velvet paw but conceals a remorseless fang. These are the times when, in his whaleboat, the rover softly feels a certain filial, confident, land-like feeling towards the sea, that he regards it as so much flowery earth, and the distant ship, revealing only the tops of her masts, seems struggling forward 
not through high rolling waves, but through the tall grass of a rolling prairie. As when the western emigrants' horses only show their erected ears, while their hidden bodies widely wade through the amazing verdure. The long-drawn virgin veils, the mild blue hillsides, as over these there steals the hush, the hum. You almost swear that play-wearied children lie sleeping in these solitudes, in some glad Maytime when the flowers of the woods are plucked. And all this mixes with your most mystic mood, so that fact and fancy halfway meeting interpenetrate and form one seamless whole. Nor did such soothing scenes, however temporary, fail of at least as, as temporary an effect on Ahab. But if these secret golden keys did seem to open in him his own secret golden treasuries, yet did his own breath upon them prove but tarnishing. O oh, grassy glades, O oh, ever vernal endless landscapes in the soul, in ye, though long parched by the dead drought of the earthy life, in ye, men may yet roll like young horses in new morning clover, and for some few fleeting moments feel the cool dew of the life immortal on them. Would to God these blessed calms would last, but the mick mingled mingling threads of life are woven by warp and woof calms crossed by storms a storm for every calm there is no steady unretracing progress in this life we do not advance through fixed gradations and at the last one pause Th through infancy's unconscious spell boyhood's thoughtless faith Adolescence, doubt, the common doom, then skepticism, then disbelief, resting at last in manhood's pondering repose of if. But once gone through, we trace the round again, and our infants, boys, and men, and ifs eternally. Where lies the final harbor whence we unmoor no more? In what rapt ether sails the world, of which the weariest will never weary? Where is the foundling's father hidden? Our souls are like those orphans whose unwedded mothers die in burying them. The secret of our paternity lies in their grave, and we must there to learn it. Thank you.